Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett, and I've used my Move the Ball system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you all are here with us today. This podcast is all about business, branding, sports, leadership, and of course, how to move the ball. And I'm just going to put it out there that if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice so that you never miss an episode. We've got lots of great episodes coming up, as well as a lot of great episodes that have already been released. So go check those out. Today, I've got a fantastic guest with us, someone who played in the NFL, someone who has an incredible amount of energy, and someone who knows how to make stuff happen. And when I say he has a ton of energy, you'll see he really does, and you're going to hear it on the show. That's why we vibe so well, because I'm a high energy person, too. Get ready. Today, inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is Corey Miner. Corey is a former American football player who played outside linebacker at Notre Dame and was drafted in the seventh round of the 1999 NFL draft as the 234th overall pick by the San Francisco 49ers. Corey then played for four seasons in the league with the Carolina Panthers. Corey, welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. You should be my PR person. You're amazing. Thank you. See, we can hear the energy. Every time Corey and I chat, which is important, that's why he is good at what he does, which you'll learn more about. So, Corey, I'm glad you're here. Let's start off our conversation by talking about football and really what football has meant to you in terms of how it has helped you to become successful, not only on the field, but off the field as well. Great question. First off, number one, I love your show and I appreciate having you on. Thank you again. To your point, there's so many life lessons that I've learned, right? From teamwork to leadership, to dedication, to time management. Get back up and even knock down. I've learned so many things playing the sport of football, adversity. It's just really been a pivotal piece in my life and really who I am today. It really defines me a lot because I'm able to be the man I am in life today because of football, without a doubt. What took you to football? Tell us kind of a little bit about your story. How did you get started playing the game? And what was it about the game that like really hooked you and made you love it? Sure. So I started playing flag early. I was actually a quarterback, believe it or not. At some point, I wanted to kind of move on to tackle. And my mom was like, yeah, you know, she wasn't really feeling it, right? And so at the time, I was playing baseball, and they had sign-ups for Kavita Vikings out in Southern California. I said, Mom, 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 there's a sign-up. She's like, no, I don't see it. I'm like, Mom, it's right there. No, I don't see it. Mom, it's right there, you know? And so very reluctantly, she went over signing me up. I'm in seventh grade now. I was decent. I was a very uncoordinated kid, believe it or not. But I had some ability. You could see that. I had to work at it, though. It just stuck with me. It was really the only sport I was really good at. Like, I played basketball. I was okay. Yeah, baseball, I was a great center fielder. I just couldn't hit the ball worth a darn. That's probably something you do in baseball. I can bump very well, though. Football was really what stuck with me. And then also, I just got bigger, right? I grew in stature. And so it just made the most sense. But really, to be honest with you, I wasn't very good at first. I'm, I'm not even lying to you on the show. I was pretty horrific. We don't all have this talent that we just 
have right away that we just excel, right? Some people have to work at something more than others. And that's okay. Cause I think that's just part of life. Like we all have things that we're good at. We all have things that we might not be great at naturally, but we can get there if we put in the work. So can you talk to us a little bit about what were some of those things that you really had to work at developing so that you could excel in the game? Yeah, I think for sure, speed, coordination, balance. I wasn't very good at those things, right? You know, I matured as a, as a young kid, you know, late than most kids. And so that was really important to me. I, I had to work on those things. And friends of mine who were really good, like, I was like, man, how do you guys run so fast? How do you guys have balance? I, mean, I used to like, like, how do I do that, right? You know, I wanted to be them. I wanted to be like Mike, you know? It just took a lot of time and patience and effort. My mom was like, oh, my, my son's never going to get it, you know? I was like, mom, I promise you one day I will. I promise you one day I will, you know? And as time went on, it just ha- it just happened. I just I, I blossomed later, and some of the guys that that were way better than me, I really outpaced and outperformed as time went on. But it was a long process, you know. Let me tell you. <laughs> Part of that is also the mental toughness, right? I mean, like when you're not great at something, it's easy to get discouraged or to want to go do something else because it pisses you off. You're like, oh. I suck at this or, oh, I'm not as good as, you know, my teammates. or So how do you stay focused and keep pushing yourself when you know that it's something you have to work harder at? I think when you have a why, right? And I talk about this a lot in business, right? When you have that why and it's so important to you, then usually you will sustain it. I hear Les Brown say, you know, you face the fiery furnaces of hell, right, to make it happen. That's what you do. And so for me, like, I love football. I was a little kid. I was still learning the game. But I love what it brought me. It brought me excitement. It brought me love, passion. Like I always smiled. I was very motivated by it. I told myself, hey, I'm going to get better. I'm going to find a way to get better. At some point in time, it might not happen today. It might not happen tomorrow. But at some point in time, boom, it's, it's going to click. And it did for me. And I, I had that why, right? Like I can't quit. I don't want to be a quitter, number one. Number two, if I stop now, in my brain, it's okay. When things get hard, I always stop. And I didn't want that pattern in my life, right? And so how do we push through it? We're going to keep working. We're going to keep fighting, keep scratching, clawing. And as time went on, Jim, it just kind of all came together and it worked out. And so let's talk about you playing football at Notre Dame. What was it like playing for? I mean, obviously Notre Dame's got a, it's a storied program, a lot of history yeah. there. What did that mean for you uh, going to play for such an amazing football program? So for me, it goes back to six years old. You know, I've been blessed to be a speaker and travel the country, speaking corporations about leadership, teamwork and winning. My speech is filled with my first 20 minutes of sharing my story. At the age of six, I had this dream to go to Notre Dame. At the age of six, I had this dream that I had to get to Notre Dame. I didn't know where it was at. I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't, wasn't coordinated, but I told my mom I'm going to find a way. And so for me, it meant the world to me to live my dreams at the age of six, right? I said it at six and I held on to it through turmoil, people telling me it won't happen, through all kind of adversity, and to live it means the world to me. And it wasn't about me. It was, first of all, the grace of God, number one. Number two, there were so many people in my, in my life, from family to friends who helped me get there. It wasn't about Corey only. And let me tell you, Jen, it was, it was my everything. It was the dream I had and the dream I did. And I'm so thankful and, and God is so good. That's wonderful. One thing that you mentioned is, you know, people helping you along the way, which I think is so important for people to remember and appreciate that no matter where we've gone, if you look back on your life, there are people that helped you along the way. And so it's important to find those people to continue to help you, but also to be that person for somebody else. And something that I know you and I have talked about before, and I know you obviously know my story, Corey, and you know what I've done with the Move the Ball brand coming from not knowing a single person that played professional football to where we're at today. It was because people helped me. People wanted to listen. People believed and said, oh, you know what? I see something here. Let me help this young lady out to help her get to where she wants to go. And the same is for you, you know, as a young man, and you have people that help you to realize what your dream was, which is yeah, fantastic. Thank you. 
And so talk to us about your experiences at Notre Dame playing football. Is there one that kind of stands out in your mind as like the thing that you're, when you're old and sitting in your rocking chair, telling stories about playing football, there you're going to tell the story. What would that be? So first off, we get in our name first weekend is rookies only, right? So, you know, 21 freshmen there, all with shaved heads, right? Because that's something you do in training camp, right? So we, we did ourselves before, right? before the seniors got there, got us got there. We we're all like excited. We we're all petrified. Right? Like every one of us was like a mama's boy, right? And, and, and so we get there for three days. And then the real team comes, like the whole team comes, right? So now we're a hundred deep, right? And then we lead to a military academy gym, like 30 miles away. It was 130 degrees. It was on the lake, pay phones only. We had 17, 21 freshmen lined up, you know, with calling cards, calling mom every night, crying. Like, I want to come home. This is horrible. Like, it was the worst experience ever. We had, then we had a kid every morning. Alondra came in from Notre Dame from the school, right? We had a kid, like, couldn't do it. He went home in a laundry truck and went back home. He's like, I'm done. I'm going to play every game. So that was number one. Number two was in the locker room. I played for Lou Holtz my first two years. I'm the only player to ever start for him as a true freshman. I'm in the locker room, and I don't know who's starting yet. Me and another guy named Johnny Mack. It's him and I. I'm a freshman. He's a sophomore, I believe. We're probably maybe an hour before kickoff. And Lou Holtz walks over to me and says, hey, you're starting. You're ready to go. And Jen, let me tell you, the, the butterflies in my stomach. I'm an 18-year-old kid about to start for Notre Dame. Like You can't even, like, you can't script that. The butterflies that I had in my stomach, I can't even tell you. And so I remember my teammate, Robert Farmer, I was a basket case. I was walking, pacing, going back and forth to the restroom. I like, I was a basket case, right? And he said, Corey, he said, Robert said to me, he said, Corey, what did Lujo say? He said, I'm starting. He said, go show him why. Mm. And when he told me that, there was a calmness that came from me. It just calmed my nerves. I was relaxed. I was focused and I was ready to go. But it, until he said that, I was a basket case. That's number two. And the last one I remember the most probably is Ohio State, uh, my sophomore year, which was Alabama, but it wasn't. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I ran a blitz off the corner, and the quarterback was Stanley Jackson, and they, hit, they did a boot right into the blitz. So I took him down by his neck, like a 10-yard loss. Again, maybe two seconds later, the whole student body goes, Corey Minor, Corey Minor. And then all of a sudden, the whole stadium does it, and I thought I had died and gone to heaven. <laughs> Absolutely, like like the best experience I could ever imagine being there. Game, phenomenal. And then, of course, my last one is graduating three and a half years uh, in that tough academic environment. Oh wow, that's fantastic! Well, congratulations on the academic success first, because that's important, as uh, as you know. And then, yeah, I can see why those are incredible stories. And I really like you sharing about your teammate saying, "Go show him why." And when I think about that, you know, I mean, we talk on the show about I have this phrase: "Suit up, show up, move the ball." And it's about showing up and showing people why you deserve to be wherever it is in that moment. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's so great. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, yeah, I'm going to remember that for sure. I've taken that note. Go show them why. And I will certainly be telling other people about that story. So let's talk about the NFL. So you end up getting drafted, right? Okay. And what was that experience like for you to get drafted? And then what was a big eye-opening experience for you go? I mean, a lot of guys that I have on the show, they talk about how the NFL is a business. They talk about the speed of the game is different. They talk about the talent is, you know, top-notch. Obviously, you're playing with the best of the best. Was there anything else aside from those things that for you really stood out as like, oh, this is what the NFL is like? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is taking care of your body. You know, I don't think people realize that. When you're 18, 20, 21, 22, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm invincible. I'm, I'm a man of steel. I'm invincible, right? Yeah. 
I got blessed to be partnered with Ken Norton Jr., who's my big bro. We all know how great he was in the NFL. And he taught me. He, he, he always called me Young Buck. Come here, Young Buck. Let's have a conversation. And because he was always getting the cold tub. Man, what you getting the cold tub for? He said, man, you, you'll find out one day. I said, man, I'm good. I'm not getting no cold tub. <laughs> sure enough. Sure enough, Jen, a week later, <laughs> I'm in that cold tub. <laughs> and he really helped me to realize that at the end of the day, it's about your body. Because if you can't play this game, you can't play this game. Right. right? People don't realize that if you can't play the game, you can't play the game. And if your body's not working, you can't play the game. And he really taught me to get treatment, to get in the whirlpool, to get massages, right? To get rest, to eat right. All those things that as a, you know, a 21, 22 year old, you take for granted because you're, hey, I'm invincible, I'm young. He really helped me see that at an early, early age. And I carried on at Carolina as well. Well, I think that's important too. Obviously, playing the game of life, you don't have necessarily the same physicality aspect, but it's still super important to make sure you're taking care of your body so that you can perform at your best in whatever it is that you're looking to do. So, you know, eating right, you mentioned, obviously getting rest is important, not only sleep, but just taking the time out, right? And just decompressing as well. All of those things translate beyond the game to being able to be a peak performer in whatever else it is that you do. Correct. Exactly right. Let's talk about Carolina for a minute. Uh, was there, so one of the things I like to ask people about are most memorable games or, or things like that. And obviously you shared some of the impactful moments for you at Notre Dame. On the flip side, I also like to ask people sometimes questions about, well, you know, I believe that everything we go through in life teaches us lessons. Football teaches lessons, games you play, things happen, you pull lessons from them. So the question I'm going to ask you is, is there a game or a moment while you were in the NFL where you had to overcome something or something happened and you had to pick yourself back up and keep moving forward? Yeah, I think that's daily, right? I think unless you're a starter and you got a sizable contract, I think you're always trying to compete to stay on the team, right? I think you're always trying to be the guy. If they have six linebackers, I got to be in the top six, right? Because if I'm seven, I'm probably cut, right? If they have 15 DBs, right? I got to be in the top 15 DBs or I'm probably cut from 16, right? And so I think just knowing that, um, as you said before, it's a business, of course, but knowing that at the end of the day, it's your craft and you have got to get better every single day because if you don't and someone surpasses you and you're number seven, you're gone, right? And so I sure. think my mind every day is like, okay, gotta get better. Weight room, right? Take care of my body, right? Being on the field, watching film, make sure things the right way. Those things are really important that people kind of lose sleep of. Like, if you are not at your best, if the guy who's younger than you and cheaper than you is better than you, you're probably gone. That's real life. It's very much a, if you don't perform, and if there is someone, to your point, if there's someone that is better and cheaper, then they're going to make that cut because it's a business as well. Right. So if they can pay someone else and get that performance, then you're gone. Yes, right. you absolutely have to stay at top of your game and focus on how can I continue to improve and where I think that's important off the field. And we should always be looking to be our best. But sometimes I feel like people become complacent because there isn't someone that's just standing there on the sideline waiting, right, yeah. to see you drop a ball metaphorically at work. But the people that really continue to excel in their careers are the ones that kind of have that mentality. So they're always looking to continue to outperform what the expectation is so that they can get other assignments, climb the corporate ladder, if that's their goal, or just do other things that are more meaningful, you know, in their career. Sure. No, you're you're spot on. Absolutely spot on for sure. Let's talk about you transitioning out of the NFL. What was that transition like for you? Easy, easy, because I planned for it. I told myself that at some point this is going to end. Like I knew that. Like, and maybe if I 
<laughs> Maybe if I didn't set plan for it, I'd still be playing today. But <laughs> but but I just told myself that at some point it's going to end, and I have to be ready for that. So I was making those moves. I was you know internship. I had an internship with, with uh, Moment Marketing when I learned how to do PSL. Right, I was I learned NASCAR PSL. I'm a NASCAR fan because I worked for a NASCAR company doing an internship. My three years at Carolina, my four years at Carolina, and my fifth year I didn't do it. And so I was involved with different things, right? Organizations, fundraisers, charities. I had to put my name out there that at some point in time, I wanted to make a leap. What really happened for me is I met two people. So I would train at uh, a gym in downtown Charlotte called South End Athletic Club. And the owner of the gym and I got really close. And his name was Bruce. I wrote about him in my book. And Bruce would buy and sell insurance companies for like $30, $40 million. And I was like, dude, how do you do that? Right. So he was enamored about football. And I was down about business, so we had a great conversation, right? Still friends to this day, still talk, great guy. The other lady who influenced my life wrote about her in my book. Her name was, her name was uh, Paula Newsom. She was a black eye doctor, single mom, but she had 100 rental properties and all were rented. And I was like, let's talk about that, right? Forget about football. So she wanted to talk football. So it was a great conversation for both people. So those people really influenced me and started, okay, let me think from a business standpoint, what's the next move? Not just I might be an employee for a little bit, but I want to be an employee for long. I want to be a business owner at some point. And those two people, to this day, were beneficial. Besides books I read, beneficial, instrumental in really helping me take my mindset, think about business and long-term wealth. I think that was very smart of you to do because I, I feel like for players of the older generation, I'll say the last generation, there really wasn't that focus on what's next. It was all about, I'm going to be playing and playing and making a bunch of money. And you know, one day you got cut and or you got hurt. And it was like, oh, now what am I going to do? And I feel like that there's been a, a shift and the trend has been that more and more players are realizing, hey, this is not going to be forever. And so let me start thinking about what can I do to position myself while I'm in the league so that way I don't struggle to leave. So it's a positive thing that I've been seeing as I work with more and more younger guys is they're really, and I mean, when you look at the data, you know, the average NFL career now is like two years. So, I mean, I think people have come to the realization that if I get to play, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but it's not going to, for most people, it's not going to set them up for life. So they got to figure out what else are you going yeah. to do? Very rarely you get that contract where you're good forever. You can take care of mama and mama, 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 but you don't get that too often. It's very far in between. So having a plan, having an idea, and you might not know what you want, but having an idea and plan to pursue it is what you want. At least start thinking about it. And for me, I was doing that. And so for me, when I say it was pretty seamless, because I was already in motion. So talk to us about why you got into franchising and uh, kind of what you learned about that. Because I know a lot of guys are interested in that. Use that as another way to generate uh, some income. So tell us a little bit more about your story with that. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to create wealth. I knew I wanted to be a business owner. I knew I wanted to do that. I just didn't know what, what I wanted to do. And I knew I loved to eat though, right? So I was like, okay, I, eat. I can buy something in the food business, right? So Subway's, Quiznos, uh, McDonald's. I went, to every, I went to every meet you, you can think of. And I like Domino's model because if you actually were a manager for a year plus, you can actually get in for a very low franchise fee. And I was like, oh, wait, okay, wait, I can manage for, manage for a year first and and then get in. I was like, man, who wants to manage Domino's? I ain't trying to do all that, right? But again, that was the that was the mentality. Like, hey, I, I got to change that, right? I got to let me, let me think differently, right? So let me, let me let me back up. Wouldn't it be great to learn the business first before I put all this money into it, right? I said, okay, so. That makes sense. So let me go manage. So long story short, there was a guy out in the area I lived in who needed a manager. He's from Chicago. He's a Bears fan. And uh, his name was Martin. We got along really well. So Martin brought me one of his, his stores and he gave me like a two-week crash course. He was like, okay, here you go. And I was like, 
uh, what, what do you mean here? What would I do? You know, I got nervous, right? I said, it's a team atmosphere, right? It's just not, it's not a football, it's, it's pizza, right? So what would I do if I'm a team? I start creating these different ideas and philosophies and kind of acronyms that I, I'll use in my, in my stores based on football. And so all of a sudden, I changed the store around and the store increased like 40%. He was like, dude, what are you doing? I was like, I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just using my football knowledge, right? Teamwork, discipline, dedication, desire, all these things I'm supplying to this business and it's working, right? Because I'm real big in customer service. If you know me, customer service is like my thing. And so I, I started with that branch there and we just took off. And so because he had two stores. His other store was a very successful store. He had a really good manager in there. I said, hey, listen, my good manager's leaving. I think you can take over. And I said, man, I don't know. This store's like $30,000 a week. You know, Jen, it's a big move in the store. I'm not sure I can handle that. You've got to trust me. So he gave me a kind of weak crash course in there. He goes, okay, there you go. And I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, let me go back to what I know. Same principles, right? Same factors. I brought this business and boom, that thing took off again. And so, but at this time, I'm, I'm doing the Domino's thing. I'm also now I'm also a wine consultant with the Gallo Wine Company. So I'm doing the Gallo Wine from 6 a.m. to about 2, come home and nap for about three hours, and I go to Domino's around 5.30. So I'm doing this for about a year, year and a half, and I'm just getting tired. My body's tired. I'm feeling sleepy, sluggish. I'm getting sick a lot. So I'm not getting any rest. So I said, hey, listen, have I met my requirements yet to be an owner? So I can't keep this up. Two jobs is too much, you know. Domino's, yeah, you're, you're totally fine. You can step back. And so I stayed on for two days a week to help my, my buddy out, but I couldn't keep doing it. And so I finally found my store in August 2007. I got my store. I had like 13, 14 employees out the gate. And again, I said, okay, man, now I'm an owner. It's one thing to be a manager. Now you're the owner. What, do you, what really goes on now, right? So I got in there again and did the same thing. I'm going to take the same principle I learned you know, from football in the last store to this store, my own store. And boom, sales just took off again, right? And so then I had the opportunity to buy four more stores from corporate. I go from one to five, like in a year and a half, Jim, it was probably a dumb move. I would never advise that anybody do it. I need to do it because corporates get out the market of California and I wanted to be, get those stores. I did it. It was rough. It was hard. I wouldn't recommend it, but we did it. So I went from basically one store, 13, 14 employees to five stores, 130 employees, 10 million in sales. What kind of tips would you share for anybody, not just players, but anybody that's thinking about franchising um, and that as a possible opportunity? Number one, people person. You've got to be a people person. You've got to bring people in who are people people. Like you, that's your worst issue in customer service. Customer service is the biggest issue, right? That's the biggest reason why you get Yelp reviews, right? Right? Amazon yes. customer service, right? So you've got to make sure customer service is on point. So make sure you're hiring the right people. Um, number one. Number two, make sure you're involved, right? You can come, you can become hands-on at some point, but at the beginning, you got to make sure you're involved daily. Number three, the numbers. The numbers don't write. Data, data does not lie, right? Make sure your food costs, your labor costs, things are under, have to be under control so you can make a profit. Those are the first thing I would say. Customer service, right? The right people, right? And being around and additionally making sure the numbers are aligned you're making a profit because if you're not, you will be in trouble. Absolutely. Those are great things to bring up. So talk to us about, so I know you ended up selling your franchises and now you're, you're doing speaking, working with sales teams. Tell us a little bit about that as well as your uh, recently released book. I've always said I wanted to speak years ago and my wife was like, what are you going to speak about? I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll figure it out. Right. You know, so I, I think I told you last time we talked, I went to my office. I watched Les Brown and Tony Robbins on, on YouTube on a reel, like seven days straight. Literally, I went to my office on Monday. I came out Sunday. I kid you not. Right. And I watched Les Brown and Tony Robbins seven days straight. So I came out. I'm speaking. I'm ready to go. It's Sunday, Sunday now. My wife's like, okay. So I did a post on Facebook and someone goes, hey, do you speak? I was like, yep. What's your fee? <laughs> oh, shoot. Fee. 
Uh, two grand. Oh, that's all? No, no, I meant five. Sorry, I meant five, right? <laughs> oh, that's kind of that's how it happened. And from there, so I came in the world, I came into the business, kind of a motivational guy, because my story, Notre Dame, people love that. But you look at the speaking business, there's not many people who make a living doing that. Les Brown, Tony Robbins, most people, guys and gals, you got to find a niche, right? And so I said, man, listen, I've always been on, a, I've always been on teams. I know what makes a winning team. So then I just kind of transitioned from inspiration, motivation to focusing on creating winning teams and companies. And then it just kind of took off. In 2014, I wrote my first book, you know, Make a Touchdown of Your Life. And that book was really, that book was really just because I wanted to get speaking engagements. I didn't care about making money. I'm not, I'm not Oprah. I'm not going to sell millions of books. It wasn't about that. It was about, hey, if he has a book, then he has to have the knowledge and information on how to have a great life and what to do, right? And so that's why I wrote the book. And so as I wrote the book, I sold it. I'll get a speaking fee of 10 grand. Then I would sell like another like a thousand books for like 10 bucks. I was like, man, this is kind of cool game right here, you know? <laughs> you know? And so that's when I wrote the book. And so as I transitioned from doing some of the uh, motivational inspirational stuff to more team stuff, then the next book I came out with was, you know, the playbook that produced elite sales teams that dominate and win. So now that book gets me in companies who have sales teams because I wrote the book about it. Again, I'm not Oprah. I'm not trying to make money from the book. If I do, great. But it's more so of a piece that to get in the door to get my 10, 15, 20,000 dollars fee to speak. Right. It's a vehicle for other opportunities. Because I work with a lot of people that are trying to do speaking. And you're right. It's not just about like, oh, hey, I do motivational, inspirational stuff. That's great. But you want to be known for X. What is that thing? What is your niche? What is the thing that you're going to be the expert on? And that's what you have to target versus trying to cater to all people. It's really knowing your audience what the message is, what your expertise is. And I know you're smiling over there. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's the biggest thing where people struggle is yeah. because they don't know. And so, you know, for me, helping people to be able to get through that is like, okay, let's, and then once we know that, then let's figure out the content, right? What is it that you're going to talk about that are it's really going to move the ball <laughs> to really get people, you know, excited about what it is that you have to offer. And, and you're right. And on top of that too, I think too, Athletes have to change their mindset, right? Because we're so used to getting things, right? We're so used to having people, hey, come in the front of the line, right? Your table is ready for you. We'll discount this, this or that. Like, I spoke for free for a long time, Jim. I spoke like, I don't want to do that. Why? You're coming to a new niche. You don't know anybody. Yeah. Because you're an athlete before, it doesn't mean anything. Like, I spoke for free for a long time. So when someone says, hey, my, can you speak for free? I'm like, mm, not so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I paid my dues. Now, yeah. if, it's, if it's a big event that can lead to more business, or I can sell my books there, cool, then I might do a free one. But I, I paid my newspaper for free for many, 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 many years. A lot of athletes don't realize that, listen, just because you are X, Y, and Z and you made X, Y, and Z money, you're in, you're in a new field and you need to humble yourself. Right. Say, Let me get my craft right before I ask for five, 10, 20, 25 grand. I got my craft right. So when I ask 25,000, 30,000 for a speech, I know I'm going to bring it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there definitely is a mindset shift. And yeah, sometimes you have to do the free ones first, which will allow you to practice, which as you know, practice helps you get better for one, right? And to hone in on that craft. Two, sometimes there's strategic reasons to do that because doing that free one could lead to bigger and more opportunities. So you need to think through like, okay, they're not paying me a fee. Instead of saying, oh, well, that sucks. You know, think through the the bigger picture. You know, there could be another reason why you want to establish a relationship with them, do this one for free. And there might be some other things that come 
after that. As I heard you talking about how, you know, athletes are used to, you know, people giving you stuff. And so I still, I still get like, I'll text with some people. I was texting with someone the other day saying, Hey, when are you coming to Chicago? And he's like, get me a ticket. And I'm like, I don't need you to come here. <laughs> like, no, I'm not getting you a ticket to come to right? my city. If you want to come to my city, go. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you, we, we have this mentality. I get it. For so, for so many years, we've been on top of total pole, right? We've been told yes for so many times. I mean, listen, when I got in the sales, when I got in the sales game, Jen, I heard so many no's. I didn't know what to do. Like my first four or five days working, I went home with the sleep like at noon. I was hurt. <laughs> like I wasn't used to hearing no so much, right? And and then I had a no name list. I had a list of no name alumni, like four thousand people. I was like, oh, this is gonna be good. I'm gonna rock this list. Oh, they know who I am. I'm all American. Da da da. No name. Da da. But I, no, no, no. Oh, how many more? A ho, jerk. I mean, I heard it all. Right. right? I'm, wait a minute. Like, I, I, I'm Corey Minor. What do you mean? You know. Yes. You don't mean nothing no more, right? And right. So realize you gotta hit that switch and become someone different. And when I did that, things changed. Yes. Yeah. I was. <laughs> I was in a meeting. This was a whole couple months ago. I won't name the person, but he's, you know, he's like, do you know who I am? You know, I play, you know, whatever, multiple pro bowler, blah, blah, blah. And like, nobody in that room cared. I was just like, dude, stop. No one cares who you used to be. Right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So it's definitely a mind. There's a shift in perspective for sure. And a shift in approach once you're not playing the game and, and focusing on being in the real world with the rest of us. Totally. 100%. 100%. So, Cord, where can people get your book? Where is it available? And where can people learn more about what it is that you're doing now? CoreyMeyerTraining.com. CoreyMeyerTraining.com is kind of my, my new website where you can get the books at. Then I'm on Instagram like crazy or Facebook. Corey Miner on Facebook. Instagram at KMine4 at K-M-I-N-E, the number four. Perfect. And we'll be sure to uh, put all of those in the show notes so people can follow you on your journey. So, Corey, what I want to do now is take you through my two-minute drill. Are you ready? <laughs> so my first question is what did you want to be when you were 10 years old oh i want to be a fighter pilot i'll tell you that remember oh that's right yep 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 i remember that we've talked about that 14 tomcat fanatic but i can't see what the lift so there you go <laughs> <laughs> i remember that yes all right my next question is who would play you in a movie about your life oh denzel for sure denzel great choice <laughs> hands down no doubt all right next question is what is your favorite vacation spot Oh, okay. So where, where I've gone is Curacao, and where I'm going to go is uh, uh, Bora Bora. That's my next stop, Bora Bora. Oh, very cool. Well, I can carry you and your kids and your wife's bags. I will, I'll tote along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <that's good. laughs> All right. How about what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, that's a great one. Okay. Two things. Number one, so I love Jamocha. Okay. But we have a place here called Drifty's Ice Cream. Yes. I love their chocolate mountain crunch. <gasps> that's my favorite. That's my absolute <laughs> favorite. Yeah. So no one listening knows this. Um, but yeah. <laughs> when I lived in California, so Rite Aid bought a lot of thrifties, but they still kept yeah. the thrifty ice cream. But yes. when I was there, they were still thrifty. The, yes, chocolate malted crunch was my favorite Ooh, as a kid. I know they got along for a reason. I knew <laughs> yes. All right. My next question is, what is a pet peeve of yours? pet peeve of mine that I really, really can't stand is bad customer service. If I'm spending money with you and you don't say hi to me in the restaurant or at the store, I'm, I'm giving you my money. Like, And so I call you out. So I think my next thing I'm going to do, actually, I'm going to create an Instagram page of bad customer service. I'm going to call people out. I'm going to tag the companies. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that's what the experience is so important in business. Correct. Yes. 
What book are you currently reading? What podcast are you currently listening to? Honestly, I just stopped reading books probably last year because I'm transitioning to more of a listening, more of a, a, a visual learner. I love myself on YouTube. The last book I read was Start With Your Why, I think it was. Simon Sinek. Yes, there you go. I don't read books full cover anymore. My thing now, I need one nugget from the book. Sure. I go to the index. I'm, I'm looking for the, the chapters. Okay, what chapter do I need right now? Oh, this one about this point, I'm going to read that. Got right? it. That makes sense. So I don't always read the whole book. I just need to find that one nugget that can, that can have me add more zero. Cool. My last question is, you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? I'm going to go, okay, one, I'm going to go Michael Jackson. I'm going to go two, Barack Obama. And three, I'm going to go Jeff Bezos. Great choices. Now, why? Michael, because when he was the king of pop, right? I want to understand that, his mindset. Sure. Like, I want to understand what that meant to him, his mindset. That's number one. Barack Obama, to get where he got to as a black man or the president, mm-hmm. I want to know what that struggle was like. Sure. I want to know his, his adversity, what he had to face, what he had to go through. And then when he was there, because even though he was there, he was still just like black people. How did that feel? What drives him every day? And then Jeff Bezos, because I do Amazon, right? I got to go right. my guy Bezos, right? I want to understand his mentality and say, okay, how do I build the biggest, best company? What's that like? What was the adversity like? What was the mentality like from the mindset standpoint? How do you have a vision to go from books to what it is today? Oh, that's great. It seems like that would be a really great dinner party conversation. You coming, you coming over? Are you, if you're inviting me? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, was- I'll be there so I can hear the conversation. Absolutely. As we look to close our show, any last thoughts for our listeners? Thank you for having me on. If you are listening to uh, this podcast for the first time, don't don't let it be the last time. Uh, Jen is absolutely phenomenal. She knows more about football than I got to play with. And that is real true. Uh, I would just like to say this. At the end of the day, you can be as great as you want to be. You know, what's stopping you? You know, what's stopping you? It's using you. No one else is stopping you. Go find your greatness. Go taste your greatness. Go be absolutely amazing. Don't wait. Don't let you only get one shot at life, right? You only have, uh, you'll never get this time back. The time is now to go be amazing. Don't wait. Don't delay. Stop playing around. Go live your dream. Go live your goals. Go chase your destiny. So when you look back, when you look back, you're on your deathbed. You're not saying should have, could have, would have. You said, damn, I did it. Absolutely. Powerful piece of advice. And I'm going to come back to what we talked about earlier in the show. And something that you had said is go show them why, right? So show up, go, you know, chase whatever it is that's important to you and show them why you deserve it because you do. So you just got to put the work in. Absolutely. Well, Corey, thank you so much for being on the show. Again, I love your energy. I'm sure people can hear your energy in today's episode. And it was just a true pleasure having you on. Dan, you are phenomenal. I appreciate you. It's, it's been absolutely amazing. So I'm sure I'll text you shortly about something funny that I've seen. And you well deserve it. You put your time in, you paid your dues, and, and you're living it. And so for any other female out there who wants to do something that's controlled by men, don't let it stop you because football is controlled by men. But Jen has got herself, made herself a seat at the table. And if you, if you can't find a seat, right, bring your own chair. There you go. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again. Thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode and hopefully you'll check out others. Don't let this be your last. And until next time, make sure that you suit up, you show up and you move the ball. Deuces. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.